So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, I have come to fulfill the law and the prophets. Not only will I teach and use the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures, as my straight edge, I will fulfill that which they spoke about. Why is the death of Christ a central truth and teaching in Scripture? Why are the pages of your Bible stained with blood? And why is it that so many today and throughout time will seek to diminish or sidestep the significance or the meaning of the death of Christ? As we demonstrated recently, it is literally woven into the fabric of Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. It is no secret. Our contention is that Calvary is crucial and furthermore, it is glorious, holy, stunning, and breathtaking. So I'd like to begin this morning by impressing upon you and all of us the solemnity of the subject at hand. The death of Christ is central and crucial to understand because of the one who hung on the cross. Paul told the Corinthians regarding Calvary, none of the rulers of this age understood this, that is, The cross. If they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. The one on the cross is the Lord of glory. The author of life died on the cross. Why do we love the church so much? Because the church, which is the gathering of those redeemed. The church was bought at such a great price. Acts chapter 20. This is Paul speaking to the Ephesian elders. Regarding the importance of what you teach. Pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God. Which he obtained by his own blood. That is the incarnation. That is why John the Baptist said, there's one coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals. Because God literally purchased you and me by his blood. You say, well, God doesn't have blood. He is spirit. He is indeed. That's why Emmanuel, God with us, God took on the form of human flesh. Philippians 2 lived among us. Not only as a person, but as a servant and became obedient to death, even death 
on the cross. This is not a side subject. This past year or two, it has been easy to not prioritize church. The relationships, the discipleship, the the gathering and, and the worship and so on and so forth. But I want to put before you that God purchased us with his own blood. Whatever we can do, as Tim says, every single Sunday, even if we're not in person together, we stay connected. We encourage one another the best we can. So last week, we looked at two very rich Bible theology terms. One is propitiation. This word is always used God word. It is speaking about propitiating towards God to satisfy, to appease the holiness, the righteousness, and the justice of God. We see the sacrifices that were given in the Old Testament culminating in the one sacrifice by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in which he shed his own blood and purchased for us eternal redemption. Which leads us to the second word. To redeem. Well, that's always speaking about us. Importantly, it's not speaking about angels. The angels don't have the perspective that we have. The holy angels. To redeem means to buy back. Scripturally speaking, it is to buy back at a tremendous price. At a precious price. The blood of Christ. So this morning we have two more concepts to speak to. We're speaking about what we have been saved from. And what we have been saved to. Via the death of Jesus. And the blood that he shed. So here's our first concept. Wrath. Monaco mentioned this when she prayed. So let's bring together a number of ideas that we've talked about uh, leading up to today. We've talked about God's holiness. We've talked about God's justice. We've talked about God's glory. We've talked about the observable fact that you and I cannot claim the same. We are sinners. And so now there is a tension between the holiness of God and justice and our sin. Scripture speaks to the wrath of God often. The wrath of God is God's right And just indignation with sin. And here's where I want to make a distinction. Wrath refers to a settled disposition towards, in this case, sin. Some of you have, well, I'm sure we've all heard the term anger issues. That person has anger issues. You don't know why, but all of a sudden you say something, boom, anger comes out. You don't know what just happened, but that person is very angry with you. Perhaps you're that person. 
This is not what we're referring to with God. That quick anger and you don't know why, it's unpredictable. In fact, it's entirely predictable. Because God is holy and throughout scripture, there is this this continued sense that we must view God as holy. Remember poor Uzzah who is just trying to do the right thing with the Ark of the Covenant. They're bringing it back to Jerusalem. It begins to tip on the cart and he sees that and he says, well, this is important. So I'm going to reach down and I'm going to steady that cart so that this precious piece of worship material or item doesn't hit the dirt. Well, he died. God struck him dead. Because the Ark of the Covenant was where God would actually meet with the Israelites. We, begin, we see those situations in Scripture and we realize just how holy God is. And so I want to submit for us to consider. If our conception of God does not include wrath... We have an incomplete picture of who he is. That's very important. There's a balance in scripture and we want to strike that balance. So here's the heart of the gospel. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. A great Awana verse. But God shows his love for us. In that while we were still sinners, yet sinners, Christ died for us. So there's the love and the mercy of God. While we were yet sinners, or as he would say elsewhere, Romans 8, we were enemies of God. Christ died for us. Now watch how he develops this. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. There's the death of Christ. Justified means to be declared righteous. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. The death of Christ... You see his blood there. The death of Christ is said to save us from the wrath of God. Because he just reminded us we are all sinners. But notice the intricacy of the words. Never gloss over God's word. Every word is tested. Look again at verse 9. We have been justified by his blood. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So what are we saved from? We're saved from the wrath of God. Who saves us? Well, that would be God, the death of Christ. So put that together. We're saved by God, from God. 
That's the holiness of God. So we need to expand our theology, our understanding, to give the rightful place to the holiness of God. Because when we see the holiness of God, then the love of God, the mercy, the kindness, the compassion of God, those are all gospel terms, by the way, become so much more clear and so much more meaningful. We can see the depth of the love of God in the death of of Christ. Now notice Paul's word to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. He's speaking to the Thessalonians and he says, It's been reported to me how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. That's conversion. You turned to God from your idols to serve the living and true God. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. There's the death of Christ. Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So the context is the gospel. The context is the death of Christ. And through the death of Christ... We are saved from the wrath of God that is yet to come. So in a sense, the wrath of God is that which is future, which is not withheld or mitigated in any way, shape, or form. Saints, this is the hope of the gospel. This is the core element of the word of God. Is Christ Jesus came, Paul said, To save sinners. Now, in a broad brush, that's what God has saved us from. He has saved us from the wrath of God. He has saved us from the condemnation associated with the justice of God and my sin. But if we merely answer the question by saying that Jesus' death, that he saves us from our sin, from hell, from the wrath of God, while that is entirely true and it is breathtaking, it's not complete. Because the death of Christ is so exquisite in what it it deals with. And how it completely reverses everything for us. Sometimes I find that we underrepresent what Christ, through his death, has saved us to. It's not just what he saved us from, it's what he saves us to. Here's the second word. And we hit this quite hard in the book of Ephesians. And that is inheritance. You see, Christ, through his death, has made propitiation for my sins. When I put my faith in him, I am completely justified. It is as if, judiciously, legally, judicially or legally, I have never sinned. That is mind-boggling. 
before God. Why? Because I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. In the same sense that he took all of my sin and bore them and literally became them. I, the great exchange, I, on the other hand, become the righteousness of Christ. Or the righteousness of God in Christ. But the beautiful thing is we have now been gifted with what the scripture calls an inheritance. And this is what develops joy within us. This is what gives us hope. This is why Paul said, I don't know what's better. I far prefer to depart and to be with Christ. But I know God wants to use me here for your good. We don't often hear people speaking like that. Because what he was really saying was, I wish I were gone. It's so much better to be with Christ. Now imagine for a moment, for those of you who knew Collins, or when you would see him leading us in prayer on a Sunday morning, the joy of the Lord was on his face. In fact, as we'll hear later on, he would thank the Lord for his cancer because that is what God used to bring him closer to him. And that joy became so real in his life. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Speaking of Christ, in him, Christ, you also... When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, all of these things are tied together and believed in him. You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. You believe the gospel. You believe that Jesus died for you and rose again for you and your faith and your confidence is now in him. It says that he is the guarantee of our inheritance. Watch this. Until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. This concept of the inheritance is to the praise of God's glory. Just as the fullness of God's wrath is yet future. The inheritance that the New Testament speaks to so often is also yet future. In fact, Peter in 1 Peter 1 speaks about the inheritance that is laid up in heaven for us. So heaven itself is actually not the inheritance. There is an inheritance in heaven waiting for us. Would you let that sink in for a moment? The inheritance that Christ has purchased for us by his blood is waiting for you and for me. It is not your best life now. It is not our best life now. Our best, the fullness, 
despite the many blessings we enjoy now, is yet future. And it is yet to come. Which is why in the New Testament you will see the apostles pulsating with joy for what is ahead of them. And we'll unpack this idea of an inheritance in the near future. The text that I'll preach at Colin's funeral is about this very subject, Romans 8. It's a passage we've talked about, he and I, so often the last number of months. Where the astounding statement is made. That we as believers inherit God himself. He is our inheritance. And we, as believers in Jesus are co-heirs with Christ. Talk about a reversal of fortune. Talk about a complete reversal of being under the condemnation of God's holiness. To Romans 8, 1, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. To chapter 7, to verse 17 that says we are co-heirs with Christ. And the end of the chapter where he says, nothing will ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. As a reference point, this idea of an inheritance is developed in the Old Testament. Here's one example. The New Testament referencing the Old Testament. Acts 13 Talking about God gave them, the Israelites, their land as an inheritance. It was gifted and waiting for them. They didn't earn it. It was given to them. So saints this morning. A few questions. Do you long for what is ahead? Is there an anticipation that is developing and growing within you of what lies ahead? Are you preoccupied with stuff now? You see, it is so easy for us to become obsessed, preoccupied, sidetracked by the things of this Life, Perhaps chasing things that really don't matter. The Lord's gracious promise to us. Don't worry. That's not condemnation. That is a gracious invitation. You don't need to worry. Because what is ahead. And because of the one who is in control. I just want to read this briefly. This is Colossians chapter 3. Listen to these words. There's no slide for this. Verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2. Set your minds on things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. So that is a challenge for us. 
Because we naturally default to what's right in front of us every single day. And to do that is to be entirely human. But I'll read it again. Verse 2. Set your minds, there's intentionality, on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. Why? Verse 3. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's the true you. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. When you read your New Testament, pay attention to those admonitions because they are literally everywhere. Focus on what is above. Focus on that which is eternal because that is the glory of the gospel. God has promised to never leave us and to never forsake us now. That's a beautiful promise. But this world is not our home. Hebrews chapter 11 makes that so very clear. The hall of fame of faith. This world is not our own. We are called pilgrims just passing through. Philippians 1. Or verse chapter 3. We are citizens of heaven. That is our true identity. Our citizenship, Paul says, is in heaven. And we are waiting for Christ to return. So I commend these truths to your careful consideration. And with so many challenges in front of us many of which are personalized for each of us. We acknowledge our heartaches and our problems and our challenges and our difficulties and our groans. We never belittle them. But the beauty of the gospel is by the grace of God, we put that into perspective. And as we grow and develop fellowship, cultivate fellowship with the Holy Spirit, his joy begins to invade Every part of our being. Let's pray. As you consider. The twin pillars of the gospel. The twin pillars. Of the death of Christ. Being saved. From the wrath to come. And being gifted an unspeakable inheritance. And a hope. I invite you just to a moment of quiet reflection. And contemplation. On these truths. We know that it is easy. To get caught up in the busyness. Of our lives. To get caught up. In the challenges. And the problems before us. Saints. I encourage you. To carve out time each and every day 
to meet with your Lord. To be refreshed, to be comforted, to be helped. By the Holy Spirit who lives within you. We always want to make it very clear in a nutshell on Sunday mornings. The simplicity and the power of the good news of Jesus Christ. As Eva read earlier on. That which is of first importance. Is that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture. Was buried. And he rose again. In accordance with the scriptures. Have you put your faith your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as the only one who can and will save you from your sins. When you abandon your own self-righteousness, your own attempts to rectify the problem which you are completely incapable of rectifying. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Lord God, thank you for the hope of the gospel. When we consider the details and the power and the truth of the gospel, the death, the burial, the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Help us to never lose the sense of awe, to be wonderstruck at grace. The provision that was given for us. Calibrate our thinking Today, to trust you more fully, to walk with you more closely. Thank you for your very gentle and gracious disposition towards us. You love us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.